Welcome to another episode of the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to the experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. We sit down with Canadian doctors, dietitians, athletes, climate experts, and others to break down the evidence behind a whole foods plant-based diet and discuss the practical steps we can take in the effort to shift towards a healthier lifestyle. My name is Stephanie Nishi, and today I am joined by Dr. Sylvia Ordorsik to talk about ophthalmology and her plant-based lifestyle. Dr. Sylvia Ordorsik is a Toronto-based double board certified MD, certified in lifestyle medicine and ophthalmology. She is also an author and speaker whose sole mission is to revolutionize the current healthcare paradigm through plant-based nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Dr. Sylvia transitioned to a plant-based lifestyle four years ago after feeling burned out and it completely changed her life trajectory. She is a conscious leader who believes that health is our ultimate portal into spirituality and self-fulfillment. Dr. Sylvia also shared that she offers lifestyle medicine consultations and personal health coaching virtually, as well as an evidence-based online plant-based nutrition course for anybody who would like to overhaul their nutrition. Finally, she recently completed her first solo marathon, running purely on plants and is passionate about helping her coaching clients make their own big dreams a reality. Hi, Dr. Sylvia. Thank you for joining the Plant-Based Canada podcast today. Hi, thank you so much for, for having me. I'm so excited to go into our convo and do a deep dive today. Me too. I'm really excited about our conversation and to jump right into things. I'm so curious, as an ophthalmologist, what does your medical practice look like and what are some common eye problems that you yourself encounter? Ah, I love that question. So. Yeah, um, so I'm a practicing ophthalmologist in Toronto, and um, my practice entails comprehensive ophthalmology. So I see everything from, let's say, dry eye, which is very common, and macular degeneration, to, for example, diagnosing cataracts. Um, I also have a subspecialty in cornea. So I love all things cornea related, um, again, a lot of dry eye, but there's all sorts of things, rare conditions like keratoconus that affect the cornea. And so it's been really rewarding, just like being able to improve people's vision. Cause it's just so vital to our everyday life. I fully appreciate that, especially as a glasses wearer myself, I've definitely <laughs> experienced the dry eye aspect of things, but I also, I understand that there's a difference between an ophthalmologist and an optician and an optometrist. What is that difference, especially for individuals who may not necessarily wear glasses? So it's not part of their everyday routine to think yeah. about their eye health. Yeah, I love that. Um, to be quite frank, I don't know many people in this day and age that don't wear glasses. I think at some point we all will have a contact with an, some sort of ocular specialist. So in terms of that, that framework, so an optician is someone that is specialized in lenses. So this is the, the, the gal or the girl, when you go to like a shopping mall, they fit you with your contacts they'll show you the glasses that they have available. That's an optician. They're really kind of versed in optics. So um, how lenses work, how they bend light, what works best for your eyes. 
the optometrist is a primary care specialist. So the optometrist is someone you'd go to, um, to get like a full comprehensive eye exam. And they would also test your vision in terms of whether or not you need glasses. So that's called a refraction. And then an ophthalmologist is a medical specialist. So that's the, I guess the main distinguisher is that we first go through medical training, we become an MD. And then after that, we undertake, um, another five years or more of uh, surgical subspecialty training. So the ophthalmologist, for example, would do all the lasers, every, everything from glaucoma lasers to what most people think of, which is like LASIK, um, which is an elective procedure to cataract surgery, removing lumps and bumps off the lid, um, all those things. So the ophthalmologist is both a surgical and a medical specialist as well. Sounds like you really need to know all the components of the eye and the physics and biology of it in order to understand, okay, what's actually going on with for our vision and our eye health from that respect. Yeah, that's actually an amazing point because that's one of the things that that pulled me towards the field was that it's this beautiful intersection of like physiology, optics. You know, I even remember studying like light ray diagrams and how lenses work, how your eye bends the light onto the retina. And then of course there's the, the whole human biology. So from within the eye, we can see it is like a, a special little window where no other specialists gets this view because we don't have to cut into the body. We literally take a lens, shine a light at the back of the eye and we can see everything from if this person has diabetes to if they have a cancer somewhere in the body that's presenting to the eye. So um, it's really a wide range. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible. The eye really gives us insight into the whole body and how it's functioning. That's so fascinating, especially in that it's a non-invasive way in seeing about what's happening in our bodies and maybe even, I'm not sure about this, but could you potentially see signs of something starting to happen? And could it potentially lead to prevention down the line if you catch it early enough? Oh my gosh, like, absolutely. Um, you're, you're right on the you're right on the dot there, because you literally can prevent all sorts of disease from both progressing, and from you can make an early diagnosis. So I'm going to give you one of the most powerful examples that I was privy to. I helped to diagnose this individual, but the primary staff doctor was a neuro-ophthalmologist, incredible uh, in Ottawa. And we diagnosed based on the eye movements that a young man in his 20s had testicular cancer. Now you might say like, this is some episode of house or this is just crazy, right? But it, it's true. So he had a form of nystagmus, which is an abnormal oscillatory eye movement. And given his age group and the way that um, the eyes were moving, we did a bunch of tests with the primary sort of diagnosis in our head, our preemptive diagnosis being testicular cancer. And it was. And so we were able to diagnose it and he was able to get the proper treatment and prevent the metastases. Because of course, if he had let's say gone away and just thought, Oh, these eye movements are weird, but you know, let me get glasses or, you know, had been bounced around to various uh, doctors and specialists without having made that diagnosis, that testicular cancer could have spread anywhere in the body um, and would have caused him his life. So that was a case that I'll always remember. Wow, that seems like it 
would have had such a big impact on that individual as well. And I feel like going to see an ophthalmologist, even an optometrist or optician, it's not necessarily as common as going to see your family doctor. So do you have any recommendations in terms of what individuals should be looking out for preventative aspects or even indications that they should be seeing somebody for their eye, eye health? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that question. You're right. I mean, really our touch points are the primary care physician. Um, And even some people, as we know, they don't, you know, they don't do their annuals or they may not go for even decades sometimes. And the eyes are sometimes overlooked because people think, okay, well, if my vision goes down and I have a visual problem, then I'll seek out a specialist, or maybe I'll just ignore it for a while. Because the issue is obviously as humans, we have two eyes. And what happens is if we don't cover up one eye, it is hard to determine that we actually have an issue. So one of the first things I ask ask patients is like, well, is this something you notice in both eyes or one eye? And usually people are like, I have no idea. But if we do something very simple, which is just called the cover uncover test. So you literally just cover your right eye you know, check to see if the issue is in your left eye, then cover your alternate eye or left eye, look through your right eye to see, and then uncover and use both eyes. Right there, you're giving us a vital piece of information, which is where is this visual problem, whether it's a blur or whatever, where is it coming from? So yeah, so back to your original question, you know, a lot of people just don't don't think about it. And the, the issue is, to be quite frank, is that, you know, it's not unless you have a medical condition like diabetes, or you're under 18 or over 65 in Ontario, in the province where we live in Canada, it's not covered. So people through private insurance sometimes have coverage, and so they'll go, but some people will just put it off. But it's vitally important. Um, If not every year, every two years, just go in for an annual and go for a dilated exam. So a dilated exam is key, 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 because what, what we do is we put a special drop in the eye, we open up your pupil so we can have a full view of the back of the eye. So that's what you want. In addition to checking your, you know, your vision, which is the refraction component of it, you want a full ocular exam. That's so good to know. And I'm also interested to know, are there things that we can be doing in our everyday life? In addition to every year or two years, booking an appointment to see someone about our eye health, but that we could be doing ourselves to prevent eye problems from occurring. Yeah, I love that. So, um, you know, one of the main things I think, um, as a, as a mom myself, um, and if you're raising kids or have kids is get your kiddos outside in the sunlight, there is strong research showing that natural light prevents progression of myopia, which is nearsightedness. So I see from your glasses, just from the video that you are nearsighted, I can tell based on the shape of the image behind your lens. And I could probably also guess how much you are. We won't say it. Okay. We won't say it. You know, nearsightedness or, or, um, myopia is very, very common. And in some populations, if you can believe it, like in, uh, in Asian populations, it's over 90% of the kids develop myopia as they go into adulthood. So one of the main ways to prevent that is just getting our kiddos outside, even for 20 minutes, looking far away and getting that direct sunlight, because there is something about the interaction of the sun and our circadian rhythm and our retina that 
allows us to prevent myopia progression in kids. So that's one of the, the big things you can do for your kids. Um, the other thing is for, as adults, honestly, eat a well-balanced diet filled with vegetables, filled with whole grains, fruits, nuts, seeds, all these healthy nutritional sources, which will prevent oxidative stress in your eye. Because when we choose um, heavily processed foods or foods that are very, very high in fat, um, which would be from animal products, that's where we get into the oxidative stress, not only in our whole body, but it affects the eye too. And I feel like this term oxidative stress, it's often heard along with the term inflammation when it comes to eye health. Is that correct in thinking that those are two things that can affect our eye health? And what are some dietary aspects? You spoke to some for oxidative stress, but is there anything for inflammation that can also aid in addressing our eye health as well? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, to be quite frank, you know, as a, as a medical practitioner, when we learn about um, inflammation and oxidative stress, they're two different physiological processes. For inflammation, we think more of, you know, let's say we have a wound and um, we start getting heat there, we start getting redness, our repair cells come in, um, our macrophages, our white blood cells come in to repair that area. That's more of what we think of as inflammation. Um, and a a great direct manifestation is just getting a, a wound, cutting yourself or, or, you know, hurting yourself and then watching that, that wound healing process. So part of the cellular repair is an inflammatory response. But like you mentioned, you can also have inflammation, you know, internally where we, we can't actually see, see that happening per se, except for maybe looking at some biomarkers. So let's say if you go to your doctor and they um, look at something called C-reactive protein, or they look at something called ESR in the blood, these are markers of inflammation in your arteries and, and in your body, for example, and oxidative stress is more of, um, I guess you could think of it as a, as a physiologic process where in your cells, you get all this, all this sort of cellular buzz happening. Okay. And some of it is damaging in the sense that it'll age you. Um, you get something called free radical formation, which can damage cells. So you really want to kind of equip your body with the best nutrients. You want to feed your cells with the absolute best nutritional soup. Okay. If you can, if you want to think of it that way. So giving yourself macronutrients that are um, abundant, that are predominantly plant-based, feeding yourself micronutrients that help in, in repair processes, all of that, all of that is, is very vital, but they are kind of two, two separate processes. Although we think of it, you know, a catch-all phrase, people talk about aging and, you know, under the, the umbrella of aging, people talk about oxidative stress. They talk about um, inflammation um, and all these things. So. Thanks for describing that. And I really like this visual of this nutritional, super nutritional mixture of trying to get a variety of the different vitamins that our body needs in order to aid in our health process. But I was also wondering, it sounds like there's potentially things out there that we don't get the full story on, or that there's potential myths or misconceptions about things. Are there any others that relate to our eye health that are very prominent that you want to maybe put to rest or maybe just make sure that people know, okay, this is what's actually going on or what we should actually know in terms of our eye health. 
That, okay. Oh my goodness. My, 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 <laughs> my head's just buzzing with ideas. There's so much that we can do in terms of that question, but maybe I'll just give you a streamlined answer um, just for, for the audience. So in terms of, I guess, what what we could do to, I guess, to give our eyes the the best possible, how do we call it? Like the best possible chance to prosper and thrive and, and, and eye health is really just taking care of our own body in a way that seems natural and healthy. So yes, we can focus on the eye specifically and say, you know, we need lutein, zeaxanthine, zinc. Um, there are specific nutrients that are highly interconnected to eye health, but that gets really complicated and cerebral. And I just want to break it down for people that are listening. If you think that what you are feeding and nourishing your body with will help for your other organs, it'll help for your eye too. I mean, the eye is not separate from the rest of the body, just like any organ in the body is not separate, you know, but when we go to the doctor, it's a very reductionist view, which means like, you go to a liver specialist, you go to an eye doctor, you go to a foot doctor, but they're they're all related, right? So if you take care of your body and, and nourish it in a holistic way, you'll be taking care of the eye too. It sounds like this really flows into this concept of lifestyle medicine and how all our organs are interconnected and there's aspects from our dietary and physical and mental and other areas of our life that impact not only just one of those organs, but all together. And they kind of have not necessarily a synergistic effect, but they're all interrelated, as you were saying. Is that fair to think of it that way? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So life, so I'm a lifestyle medicine uh, specialist as well. So this is one of my absolute passions. And I think that being trained in the medical system, we're not, we're not trained in that way. We're, we're trained in the reductionist kind of fashion where, uh, you know, each organ sort of lives separately. And then you go to various specialists in a multidisciplinary team, and they're supposed to talk to each other and help you out. But Obviously, that's just for simplistic sake. You know, the, the body's, oh my God, the body, how can I even talk about the body? What, to be honest, the body is so magical that even if you have in-depth knowledge as a physician or as a health practitioner, we will never be able to understand the beautiful workings of the body. The body is the physical vessel the body is your mind, okay, your thoughts, your reactions. The body is your soul, like your spirit, what comes out when you meditate. The body is all these things and none of these things, and they're all related and constantly flowing back and forth. So you cannot say, okay, I'm going to work on my physical body, but my emotional health, I'm just going to leave that on the back burner because eventually that emotional health, whether it's, um, you know, previous trauma that you've experienced or emotions that you're working through that can have a physical manifestation in the body. Um, and let me just give you a brief example, which is they have shown recently in a big study that MIs, okay. Um, which are heart attacks, myocardial infarctions, those are intricately linked to whether or not a patient expresses being angry. So they did a survey and they asked about anger and anger is such a powerful force because anger 
I think is unprocessed emotions, right? These are emotions that either we're, we're unable to process or things that we're dealing with that just can't come out. And so people that report feeling angry or being angry, they have a higher risk of having heart attacks. So it's, it's all related. It's all related. And we really have to start focusing on our body, mind, and soul and look at it holistically. It sounds like from your traditional training that lifestyle medicine wasn't necessarily a part of the education process, but it also sounds like you have a really good grasp and understanding of this. So how did you become introduced to lifestyle medicine and plant-based practices yourself? Like what was your journey for plant-based practices? So my journey, you're going to laugh. It was a Netflix journey. Okay. So one night I was four and a half years ago, I was actually making chicken. And I remember to this day, the moment I was cutting the pieces of fat off the chicken. Cause I never, honestly, I was disgusted. Like I, growing up when there was like a fat hanging off a piece of meat, that would always disgust me. But in my mind, I said, okay, well, if I cut off this, what I can see is external fat and just eat the quote unquote, lean chicken meat, that's, you know, I thought that was healthy and that I was doing myself good. Um, and that's what I was conditioned to believe growing up. So I was doing that one night and Netflix was on in the background. And I thought, let me just put something on just to kind of, you know, occupy my thoughts. And it popped up on the screen, like top 10 or whatever, what the health. And I was like, okay, I know nothing about this documentary but it's got the word health in it. And I'm a physician, like, let me just, (laughs) let me just turn this on and see what happens. Right. And honestly, I sat down when they started talking, I sat down and for the next whatever hour and a half, I would, my mind was completely blown. It was like, I had stepped into like a different life. Um, because I was gaining all of this information about plant-based nutrition that I had never been exposed to in over 10 years of medical training. And so my, the first thoughts running through my head were like, is this, is this real? Is this a lie? Like, this is maybe like a documentary that's just trying to gain viewers. And what is this? And that night, I remember the first person I looked up was Rich Roll because he was in the documentary. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, not only is this rich guy um, running, but he's doing ultras. Like what I remember looking up, what is an ultra? Like I'd never, I'd heard of a marathon, but what, what is an ultra? And it was like, an ultra is longer than a marathon. And I was like, is there something longer than a marathon? (laughs) In my mind, it was just like, this is incredible. And I saw how vibrant rich looked, how vital, how passionate he was about plant-based nutrition. And his message was coming through so clearly to me. And I immediately subscribed to his podcast and literally listened to, like, I, I went back and I binged, listened to all of the episodes from, from ritual episode number one, RP one, and started to re-educate myself about the power of plants in treating chronic diseases and, and helping us live our longest and best lives. And that's how it started for me. It was Netflix. That's so great to hear that it's even things that may be unassuming at first, it can have such a powerful impact on our life, even if it's say, watching a documentary where for many people, it's watching a documentary and then go on with other things in our day. But following seeing the documentary, what the health I understand, and from what you're saying that you continue to delve deeper into learning more about lifestyle medicine. Could you tell us about this process, your training and how you're incorporating 
plant-based practices into your work and day-to-day life. Yeah, I love that. Um, so yeah, that was just sort of the the opening of the door. And then once I started learning about it, I started you know looking up online plant-based influencers and um, teaching myself about plant-based nutrition. And it was not it was not a linear process. Like the beginning, the transition, the first I'd say six to twelve months, I had no idea what was going on. I was like. I would read something about soy is healthy. And then I'd go to another blog and say like soy causes cancer, or I'd read, um, plant-based, you know, nutrition is anti-inflammatory. And then I'd go somewhere else and it would be like, keto is the best. So it was very hard to pick apart the evidence and what was misinformation and what was actually based in studies and in evidence. So the first thing I did, honestly, I found through eCornell, they have a plant-based certification program and my alma mater is Cornell. So I, I trusted the university. I was like, this seems legit. Okay. I've been there. I've done my, I've done my bachelor's there. So I trust, I trust Cornell. And I looked up Colin Campbell and the amazing certification. I immediately enrolled in it. And it is a beautiful and extensive course about everything from my God, they have stuff on climate change, environmental factors, plant-based nutrition. And so I went through all those videos and, and all that and became certified. And then on the heels of that, I found out about lifestyle medicine because in, in the videos, there were people that were lifestyle medicine practitioners in the US. And I'd never heard about that before. Like even now it's a, it's a budding subspecialty. Like in Canada, there really aren't that many practicing practitioners and I looked it up and it was COVID and they allowed you to do the exam online. And I was like, yes, this is the time I was able to basically do it online, which was incredible. And I did an extensive course, um, to make a long story short, it was just the right thing to do because it allowed me to fully understand and apply the principles to my life and see the changes happening in my body. And then I could confidently help other people because I had the evidence to back it up. No, that's great that you've like taken on this training, gained more experience, brought in the research knowledge, looked for credible resources. Because I know that that, at least I find, is always a challenge, especially when speaking to other people, because it's not always clear what information can you trust? Where should you go? what questions should I even be asking? So I really like that. And I understand that you also have coaching programs now. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? It sounds like you're bringing this information to others as well. So I, it'd be great to hear more. Yeah, for sure. So my primary platform right now is Instagram. I love it because I've connected with other incredible individuals through Instagram. And I also love it aesthetically. Like I'm a very visual person. And for me, if there's something that is visually attractive, it allows us to integrate the knowledge better. At least I found it for myself personally. So um, through Instagram, I have collaborated with individuals and I've posted lots of evidence-based posts, everything from recipes to recently running because I completed my um, a solo marathon. So that's been focus of some of my recent posts, but yeah. So the main offerings that I have are both personal coaching. So I do one-on-one lifestyle medicine consultations, and I also have group coaching program as well as courses you can take on your own. So they're self-paced and one of them is a four week plant-based nutrition course. So that's one of my favorites because it combines all the knowledge that I've gained to date 
plus what I've extracted from the lifestyle medicine practice, as well as all, as well as all of the courses that I've taken. And I've sort of put all of that and curated curated into eight powerful video lessons so that anyone can start that at any time. But there obviously there's also ways to work with me directly. That's fantastic to hear that there is this resource out there. And I'm wondering, are there specific concepts that you discuss in your coaching programs or that you've learned from lifestyle medicine that inspired you to start? You mentioned marathon running. So how did that come about? So the marathon running is a is a bit of um it's not directly related to lifestyle medicine, but in a way it is. So through lifestyle medicine, one of the main pillars is movement. Um, in addition to plant-based nutrition to be, to be quite transparent, like if there's two areas that we can focus on that will really, really build our health quickly, it is our nutrition and our fitness. And I call, I call nutrition the queen and I call fitness the king because I like to have a queendom. Okay. So (laughs) nutrition is number one. Fitness is number two. I mean, you don't have to do it in that order. Um, And a lot of people that I work with, they work on these two concepts um, and areas of their life simultaneously, but you really do need both. So yeah, those are some of the pillars of lifestyle medicine. And so I knew through lifestyle medicine movement was so important, but once you have your movement dialed in, there's always kind of a next level where we can go. And that's what this year has been about for me, not just staying in a comfort zone and like doing my routine workouts and weightlifting and whatever. Like I had already been doing that for about four and a half years. I had that habit dialed in, but in my mind, I was like, what can I do that's going to allow me to grow? That's going to push me into this, just butt up against the discomfort just enough for me to start expanding. And luckily I found Jesse Itzler actually through the ritual podcast. So I don't know if you're familiar with Jesse, but he is an incredible um, entrepreneur and he's plant-based and he has this program called build your life resume. So when I heard about this, I was like, what, what, like, is he talking about a CV? I mean, I'm familiar with a CV, right? Like you put your publications, what hospital you work at. But no, Jesse was talking about your life resume, meaning when we look back on our lives, when we look back on this year, 2021, what's going to define our year? And when I started thinking about it that way, I was like, I don't know what defines 2020. I guess COVID does, but I, I didn't do anything special during COVID. And then I thought 2019, well, what did I do? I have no idea. 2015, tw- 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 2005, like I couldn't come up with what beautiful ways could I, could I crown this life journey? Like, how could I commemorate my life journey every year? And Jesse was like, listen, you guys, because I'm in his program, he's like, you guys are all going to pick one thing every year that's going to define your year. And it's, it's going to be big. You have to be at least scared of it a little bit when you put it on your calendar. Like we're, so we're not talking about like, ah, yeah, I think I can do this. No, we're talking about let's push ourselves just outside of our discomfort zone and put something so big on our calendar that it's going to excite us and scare us at the same time. So for me, it was a marathon because my furthest run ever had been about five kilometers or three miles. So I was like, let me see if I can go (laughs) from running 20 minutes And I looked up how long is a marathon? And it was like, if you can do it in five hours, you're good as a first timer. So I was like, 
Let's go from 20 minutes to five hours. That leap is big enough to get me sweaty and hot. Like I'm, I'm nervous about this now. Like I'm getting nervous. So I remember I, in January of this year, I was like, we're going to put it in the summer. That's going to give me enough time to train. We're going to put it on our calendar and we're going to get it done. And the training was just incredible. It was five months of really learning about myself, learning about how to develop resilience, grit, learning about how to process my emotions and show up for everyone in my, in my world, a stronger version of myself. And that's what a marathon did. It's not just tying your shoelaces and running. It's how does this impact every little bit of your life? So I guess if there's one thing that I could tell your audience would be like, start defining your years with incredible things and watch yourself grow year after year after year. So that when you're 90 and you're looking back, sitting in a chair, you know, by the fire, you're like, wow, 2021, I ran a marathon or wow, I started a business or wow, I had a child or whatever it is you want to make a year defining event. So that's how I'm going to plan my years going forward. So right now I'm like 2022 is a few months away. Let's start thinking about what we're going to put on the calendar as the big one. Really getting me to start thinking as well. And speaking about defining your year and your queendom based on your website and social media presence yourself, in addition to what Jesse's been doing, but you yourself have also been doing this. It seems like a goal of yours is to empower people to advocate for themselves and their health and especially women. Can you speak more towards this and what are your goals and how do you do this? And what are some of the things that people can do? Because running a whole marathon may seem maybe too much at this point. What are some steps that people can be doing to get to the mindset, to be able to uh, get out of their comfort zone, to be able to work on this and be like, okay, I can do this goal. It, it, even though it may seem out of reach right now, it's something that I can still work towards and not feel guarded against it, so to speak. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this question so much. So of course it's a process. And for some people, the thought of a marathon is not even in their vicinity, but, um, Like you said, and you picked up on beautifully, I think I'm very, very passionate about empowering women. Um, And that's because I can identify them as a woman myself. I've got daughters and I'm I'm just very, I've had women in my life that have been instrumental to my academic career and and all the things. And my, my beautiful mother, you know, I mean, so I think for me, it's just how can I show people through permission, how some, because sometimes all we really need is to see someone doing the thing, right? That's step one. So my first, I guess my first advice would be just surround yourself by powerful people, women, whoever, whoever you jive with that are doing the thing. Okay. And I, and this is how I talk about it in my Instagram too, not just talking about the thing, because there's a lot of people out there they're good. They're good at talking. They talk about lots of stuff, but get get closer in proximity to people that are actually doing it. So that's, that's part of the reason why I invested in Jesse's program. I think getting a mentor is such a powerful way to make a quantum leap in your life. And for me, I have several mentors. Jesse's the 
the male mentor, and I have several women, but um, get in proximity to people that are just doing things that light you up, like where you watch their stories or read their blog. And you're like, whoa, like this, this person's giving me goosebumps right now. Like I, I'd love to do what they're doing. So another way of thinking about it is they are kind of an embodied version of the future you. Because whenever we see something in someone else that we admire, we actually have that inside ourselves too. It's just waiting to come out. And someone else has given us the permission by posting what they're doing or doing the thing when we're afraid to, and has said, if I can do it, so can you. And that's, that's the message that I also often will talk about through my Instagram and through my courses is like, I was at your stage at one point, you know, um, maybe you're, you're a runner too, but you've, maybe you've done your first 10K recently, or maybe you've just done a 5K, or maybe you're just thinking about running. But if you're a person with a physical body and with decent health, you can run a marathon too. You can run a marathon too. And it's like, you just have to start imbuing your mind with the fact that it's possible. And that's where it all starts. So one of my absolute favorite quotes in the whole wide world is a Napoleon King quote, uh, sorry, Napoleon Hill, Napoleon Hill quote. And he says, whatever the mind can conceive and, and believe the mind can achieve. So first conceptually, you have to think it's possible. And then your body and your subconscious mind, they get to work trying to make it happen. But the first step is you've got to believe somewhere deep down inside that this is possible for me too. And when you do, it can activate you and light a fire under you like you've never seen. It can be really powerful. That's what it's done for me. Yeah. That's amazing to hear. And I feel like your marathon can be almost like a symbol for other people. For other people, it may not necessarily be a marathon, but it could be representative of something that they may feel is slightly out of reach at this point, but it is potentially possible. It just takes maybe taking a few steps little by little to get to that point and having that goal in mind and actually sitting down and thinking about, okay, what are the things that would help facilitate meeting that goal and making a conscious effort to do it. And you also mentioned um, mentors, role models, and the people that you surround you with. And I feel like, as you said, it's potentially so much easier to connect with people and to find out what other people are doing that you can look up to. And this can be a double-edged sword because sometimes when you go on Instagram, you can see that, oh my goodness, everybody's doing all this amazing things. What am I doing? But it can also be very inspirational as well. And it also, as you mentioned, there's that possibility to make that connection with other people out there that are doing the same things or things you want to do. But you can even look closer to home. You mentioned that you have family members that you can surround you yourself with people that really inspire you to do things in your life that are good for yourself, but also good for others around you. Oh my God. Absolutely. And actually, I love the way that you said that. I'm just going to mirror it back to you. So the inspiration's out there and we just have to connect with the people that really resonate with us and not trigger us. So whether that be virtually through social media and the like, or somewhere closer to home, just continue to surround ourselves by incredible people that bring out the best in us. And we, we all know deep, deep down inside who 
who brings out the best in us. Like we, we know, we know, right. So I think part of my process too, is, um, I've been working also with Susie Batiste, who is this incredible entrepreneur and conscious leader. And Susie Batiste has a program and in it, she talks about resonance and dissonance. So resonance is like, who do you really jive with? What, what lights you up? What, when you do, you feel like you're in flow. You feel like you could do it forever. You feel like you can talk to this person forever. You feel like you can continually do this forever and you lose track of time. That's what we should be seeking out. And at the same time, Susie talks about pay attention to dissonance. So dissonance is where you have that feeling in your gut, like it's almost like an intuition, that pit in your stomach, you feel your stomach drop, or you're just not feeling right, where you're like, ah, every time I hang out with this person, I feel deflated, or I'm not feeling good. Or maybe when I talk to this person on the phone, they have a victim mentality, and I'm just listening to them, you know, talk on the phone about all the negative things that have happened to them in the last half an hour. Like that is that, that pulls from your energy. So you really want to move towards what gives you energy physically, mentally, spiritually, and move away from what drains your energy. And of course, sometimes that, that can take years, months. Um, that is a, a constant process of kind of moving away from dissonance and moving towards resonance. But that's really important too, like you mentioned, and part of it is the people in your life. I really like that concept of the dissonance and resonance. And you've spoken about many other people that have inspired and are inspiring. But I really like the quote that you have that the inspiration is out there. And along those lines, would you like to share where people may find out more about your own work? Yes, I'd love to. Um, so again, I think the best way to connect with me is through Instagram. That's where I'm most active. So my handle is at drdr.sylvia and it's S-I-L-V-I-A dot um, MD. So that's at drsylvia.md. Uh, you can also check out my website by the very same name. Um, so drsylviamd.com. Come, come on in, come on into my world. Like I just, I love connecting with incredible souls out there. Like I've met so many people through this medium and yes, social media has pitfalls, but at the same time, if you use it in an empowering way, I think it can, it can really activate your life in a positive way. So that would be the best way to connect. Come check out my posts. I, um, I've, I have stuff on running I have stuff on mindset, plant-based nutrition, and yeah, and my course offerings, some of them are, you know, enroll, they enroll at different times of the year. So I just closed the doors to supercharge your marathon, which is basically how to train for and complete your first marathon. But um, I, I'll be launching that next year. But again, there, there are courses that are evergreen, and so you can take them throughout the year. So just come and connect and, and let's, let's do this keep the connections going. Yes. Lastly, what would you say your take-home message for our listeners would be? Is there any specific recommendation that you would have in regard to nutrition with a particular focus on plant-based diets and the health of our eyes? Um, and because in our busy world, it's easy for people to feel overwhelmed and it's difficult to think about doing all the different lifestyle measures at once. Is there one that we should start with? 
I love that. So yeah, I mean, in lifestyle medicine, some of the consultations, like there'll be an hour and a half and we'll just go through sleep, fitness, like all the things. But if you want to really take the core of it, it's nutrition. It's what we nourish ourselves with every single day. And if you want to just simplify it in the absolute most simplistic way, I would say eat in abundance, predominantly plant-based foods and eat a variety. So a variety of things, a variety of colors. I have a, a 30 plants tracker. You can download for free through my Instagram profile. So that basically just allows you to, during the week, see how many plants of various colors, um, grains, seeds, nuts, like what have you been eating? And it gives you a good baseline. And we want to aim for a minimum of 30. So if we can get 30 plants on our plate in the next seven days, you know you're doing good and your gut microbiome's healthy, your body's flourishing, you're nourishing yourself. And as we mentioned before, everything flows, right? So when your physical vessel's feeling great, your mind can think more clearly and you'll have more clarity and confidence about what, where you're headed in your life. So let's go for 30 plants in the next seven days. I like that goal. Dr. Sylvia, thank you so much for joining the Plant-Based Canada. And to our listeners, just as Dr. Sylvia mentioned, the inspiration is out there. So let's go see if we can seek it out. Thank you again, Dr. Sylvia. I really appreciate this. I love that. This has been one of the best interviews. Thank you so much for having me. I'm deeply indebted. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and Clint Stamatovich is our audio engineer. This podcast featured royalty-free music from bensound.com. A very special thanks to our guest, Dr. Sylvia Ordorsik, for speaking with us and sharing her insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate health professionals and the public on the evidence behind plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Instagram and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org. Until next time.